Yeah, we got scheduled jits here. Uh, UFC 291, Delta Center, Salt Lake City. Amazing card. I just came back. I went to it. I was there. I got I got merched up. I bought the stuff there. I mean, just a great all, overall experience in Utah. I mean, for the moment we landed, we got there Friday early 11-ish. You know, the moment we landed and got to, everyone was just super nice for one thing, friendly. You know, we get to the hotel we're staying at. It was uh, called Little America. And it's kind of funny. The first person we see, you know, we walk up. I'm walking up to this bench. You know, I see on the bench sitting there. Rashad Evans and I'm like I kind of got Rashad I was like oh my god what's up Rashad what's up Doug? like you know I kind of played it off and then he jumped up like he knew me and it was like kind of like you know and then all of a sudden he stands up he looks kind of like uh well I don't know you but okay I was like what's up man he talked to him talked to him for a little bit he was there to support his boy he was there to uh, support Justin Gagey you know so I mean it's I don't know what did Rashad train at Team Elevation I, I don't know at the end of his career or not but him and Justin are boys, so he was there to support him. And it was just that kind of day, like our, our that kind of trip where everything was luck. Like, one thing I got to say about Utah is, like I said, the people are friendly, but also everywhere is within striking distance. Everywhere is point, or it was like five minutes away, five to ten minutes away, 0.6 miles, 0.7. Everything is right there. People are scootering everywhere just because, you know, you, we rented a car, but we even we were still a full tank of gas, and we drove all over the place, you know. So it was like, it's, everything was right there, but, uh, and it was just, it was a good time. You know, it was just awesome. It, you know, it was a little different, you know I mean? Don't get me wrong. It's not Vegas. It's not Sin City. It's like the opposite of Sin City, you know, stuff closes down. They're not selling alcohol in a lot of places like past a certain time, unless you're eating dinner or at a designated spot, you know, liquor stores, I think we closed at 10, you know, that was the latest one. And that was like a, a state ran store where they had like cops running it in the back or in the back, you know, so you know, and it was also I thought it was kind of strange with that with that liquor store. Uh, my wife pointed out that they weren't letting you, like they weren't taking any cash. You know, it had to be um, card, and I think that was just to keep out homeless or that type of uh, people. You know, you know what I mean. So uh, that that was another kind of strange thing there, but uh, it was just overall good experience. Like I said, people were nice. Uh, we made it in time. Hung out a little bit, then ended up going to the weigh-ins. We got there a little late, so we're a little obstructed. Didn't have the best seats because it was packed. Like like I said, the fans were electric. That that city was buzzing with UFC. You know what I mean? Everything was that. So I mean, about that and um, and you know, so weigh-ins were there, and that was the first time I found out that Wonder Boy and uh, Michelle Pahea. I knew he had missed weight by three pounds, but we were flying in and all that, and here are that Wonder Boy wasn't going to fight him. So that was the first time when they announced Derek Lewis. And uh, that it was uh, Jose De, uh, De Lima, that it was good. Uh, that that fight was off. So I was like, oh man, that was a disappointment. I was definitely looking forward to Wonder Boy and uh, Pahea. And then I found out that uh, Wonder Boy didn't even get paid for that. I thought he got a show money at first, and then now he's not getting paid. But but uh, still a great card anyway. I mean, we had eleven fights, nine finishes, and even the ones that weren't finishes, other than the co-main, wasn't the most exciting fight. We'll get to that. But um, still, like, there was still amazing fights. The other cards, everybody brought it from the opening, uh, Priscilla Cachoeira and uh, Maverick, uh, <laughs> Miranda, Miranda Maverick. She came in, and she did her thing. She grappled her to death at first, and, and it was like, man, this might not be the smartest uh, strategy, you know, for the altitude because look what happened last year when, the you know, head kick dead, when, uh, you know, Kamaru Usman lost his belt. 
with a head kick from Leon Edwards. It's like head kick city now. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, so no, you know, and also no cardio. Everyone was gassing last year in that card. By second round, everyone was gassed. This one, not so much other than in the co-main with Jan, like Empea, we'll get to that. But um, it seemed like people were a little bit better with their energy. And and one thing I noticed was like, okay, we get, well, let me get back to the ways. <laughs> I'm over here getting ahead of myself. Okay, so just the whole experience, like I said, was great. You know, I bought this gear at the weigh-ins, you know, because good thing I did because they were so sold out Saturday and everything was gone, all the good stuff. So I stood in a long line after the weigh-ins and was there for, it was a crowd. It wasn't even a line, you know, it was just, people just, it was a mob, you know, so I got some gear. Uh, and then uh, then I walk out and who's the a, who's a person I see right there? It's none other than Jalen Turner. You know, Jalen Turner, the 155-pounder who just had a war, a three-round war with, uh, with City Kickboxing's uh, uh, Dan Hooker, you know, with Hooker. I mean, crazy war, you know. And look at this guy. I'm 200 pounds. You know, I'm like 5'11", 205-ish, you know, around there. This guy makes 155. And look, I mean, I'm almost as big as him. I think I could take him. I mean, come on, dude. This guy, he's huge. Makes 155. That's unbelievable. You know, nicest guy. I mean, because, you know, I'm from, I'm from Redland, so, I, you know, I've seen him, and I know he's trained in locally. I got his, his start at Adrenaline right here in San Bernardino. And uh, he was with a guy, who actually the owner, I can't remember his name right now, the owner of Cookie Co. over here on Stewart and Redlands, which I delivered to as a UPS driver a lot of times on Mondays. You know, so I, I didn't know, I never had seen him before, but I delivered there. It always smells freaking amazing in there. And then, but I heard Cookie Co. Cookie Co. What? what? It's a small world. I mean, just saying, what a small world. When I said Redlands, they're like, what? Redlands? What? Okay. So he came up and took a picture of me. Nicest guy. And I was just telling him, like, what are you up to? Or asking him, like, what, are you back to training and all that? And he's pretty much taking it easy right now, healing up after that war he had. And not even healing up, just more just kind of just getting away from it for a bit. And then before he gets back at it. But, um, and I was like, what are you made of, man? Because, like, whether you lost a fight or not, you know, it was a close fight. But it was an amazing fight. But, all the damage that he caused on Hooker. Hooker got damaged hitting him. I mean, he had what broken hand, broken what do you have? Broken arm, broken freaking rib. You know, like cracked rib, broken I think cheekbone. I mean, he got busted up himself. There was so much damage. And look, Jalen, he healed up nicely. He's ready to go, but he's just taking it easy, you know, because that was a war. So I mean, smart, smart man. And I'm just saying that nickname, the Tarantula, perfect for this guy. I mean, he's got limbs for days. I mean. It's just I can't believe he makes 155. I don't know how he does it, but he's definitely going to be a problem for many years to come, and I'm excited to see what's in store for him next, you know. So, I mean, yeah, so that was another just, like, cool-ass moment. Like, damn, we ran into Jalen Turner. Like, just, I don't know, we're just hanging out at the, out front of the Delta Center, you know. So, uh, that, so yeah, that was, that was that for that. That was the weigh-ins, okay. So we go back, and then we got – Okay, so that was that night, the weigh-ins. We're at, I'm just, we're at the hotel room chilling a little bit, had a dinner and just hanging out. And then I see on Tony, or not, I was about to say Tony Ferguson, <laughs> Jorge Masvidal, the original OG BMF, you know, game bread. We see him posting on Instagram that he's doing a signing, and he's just walking, you know, like walking through the crowd, walking through the line up to where he's going to sign. Okay, so we see that. And, and then I'm like, you know what, like I said, the thing I loved, one of the things I loved about Utah, no traffic. You could get anywhere super quick. It was pretty fast, you know. So I'm like, I'm telling him, hey, let's just go see. Let's go see if we could go see him real quick. You want to go see what's up? Like, 
And uh, she's like, yeah, let's do it, you know. So we get to there, and that's a whole other story as well. Like, I mean, we we get to the signing where Masvidal's at. Or not, he's just as a meet and greet, basically, at this place called Flankers, right? It's uh, like a sports bar, bar and grill type thing. So we get there. It's a long line. We're at the, we're the end of the line for a minute. You know, there's, like, not too many. There's people there. You know, it's not a crazy line. Like, it was, you could tell it was already late because it was, like, 8 to 9.30. We got there to probably, like, 9, 10, 9.15 ish You know, it's like, damn, we barely made the cut. You know, and uh, so the, the line was still pretty long, though. It was still kind of out the door around the building, all that. But it kind of moved pretty quick, you know. And uh, so we're talking to these these fans, you know. It was like, well, I'll get to the, Yeah, we're talking to these fans, and it just happens. I'm a UPS driver. We had this guy who was – I was talking to him for a minute, him and his son, older gentleman, a little bit older than me. And he's a retired 37-year-old, you know, Teamster and UPS driver. So we were talking, chatting it up for a while. That was just a crazy coincidence. I don't know where we are just talking. You know, so I mentioned UPS. He's like, what, UPS? And, you know, from there. So we get up. We go in there, we meet Game Bread, you know, and nice as, he was nice as hell, too. You know, just kind of like, where are you guys from, all that, but Cali, you know, he's like, oh, oh shit, came all the way out here, you know, you drove out here, and now we flew out here, and then just a little small talk stuff, told it was my wife's birthday, so, you know, gave her a hug, like, happy birthday, that was cool as hell of him, you know, same thing with Rashad, he was always just, oh, happy birthday, you know, like, and all that, so, I mean, it, it was just cool, man, fighters are so humble and cool, and when they know they're, you know, get them in the cage, obviously, they have to flip a switch, but... When they're out in public, they know they're pretty much destroying pretty much 99% of the population. So you have that energy, like, you know, you're just, you're humble, you're cool, you know, like, and I, I also whatever, you know, energy you bring to them, I think would matter more than anything. And of course, this could be nothing but respect and love for all these fighters because they go, oh, they could all whip that ass for one. But, you know, just what they do, they have the courage to go up there and do what they do, game red included, you know, and he's a veteran legend of the sport. You know, pioneer, you know, pretty much. I mean, from backyard to with Kimbo Slice, you know, fighting on his undercards, basically backyard undercards to the BMF. You know, he's there to present the BMF belt to the winner. And uh, so that was just another little thing of the weekend. It was just like, man, so, like stuff's just working out. Like everywhere we go and parking was right there too. Like everywhere we went, boom, there's a parking, there's a parking spot, there's a parking spot. Like we didn't have to go look for anything. And it was, it was just it was just an overall just a really satisfying trip, you know, that way, you know. And uh, like I said, Utah is very accommodating. People are just friendly and nice. And, uh, you know, then he um, – so after that, it was just kind of, you know, he was there to present, obviously. Uh, that was Friday night. So Saturday, we go eat. We went to Blue Iguana, a nice uh, 25-year-old Mexican restaurant, kind of hidden, like in the cut a little bit. Some fighters showed up there, but I didn't want to – some of them I didn't really, I think it was like Mike Rickman, I think it was one of them. Um, there's there's a bunch of guys, but I didn't recognize every single one of them. And I don't know, I'm kind of turning into a casual in my older age, you know, like a little bit. But, and just being busy from work, so I didn't know all their names. And I didn't want to be all rude or anything. So it was just kind of, just listening to them talk and stuff. They are talking about training and all that. It was cool. They were just on the table next to us, you know. Great, great time, great food. Uh, if you guys are ever in Utah, you guys got to try it. I mean, you know, that's it was Really good food. I had a strawberry margarita, even though I did say on the rocks, but they made it into a slushy. It was still fire. That was like some mole, a sampler. It was pretty good. Uh, my wife had a jalapeno margarita. And, yeah, the food was pretty bomb there. Yeah, it was really good, authentic Mexican food. Um, been there forever. And, uh, yeah, so then that was that was Friday. That was Saturday. That was afternoon. Then we went just relaxed to get to, you know, hotel because – 
you know, that was the thing that kept throwing me off too was the, the mountain time, Pacific mountain time, because over here in California, you know, we have this time. We got, you know, everything's Eastern, everything's 7 Eastern, this and that. So over here, it'd be 4 o'clock. So I, that was kind of throwing me off. Like, was, so when does the prelim start? It's at, where the car starts actually at 5 because it's an hour ahead over there, two hours behind, you know, um, two hours behind Eastern time. So it kept kind of throwing me off a little bit, but we were able to dial it in. So we get there. We get there, let me see, what was it, maybe uh, 4.30, maybe a half hour before the fights, 20, and the place was already freaking packed, you know, oh, this was me and my wife right here when we first entered and got in there, took a little quick selfie, and uh, just, you know, geared up a little bit, and just excited, you know, and like I said, the place was buzzing, it was freaking electric already, like, this is the one, this is the one place where you, uh, basically were were uh like everybody was there like from the first prelims it was already mostly packed from the early prelims like from random maverick uh catch a fight it was already pretty packed like it wasn't a whole all the way packed there were seats you know still empty at that time but by the time the main fight card started it was there was an empty seat in the house it, everything was packed everything was sold out all the gear all the merch and it was, it was freaking electric, man. The crowd was nuts. And that's what was kind of cool to see, that everybody was there for, like, the majority of the crowd all showed up even for the prelims because, like, a lot of times there's crickets in the prelims. Like, I don't even always watch all the fight past prelims. I kind of, you know, fall off on that sometimes or forget. And, and, and everybody was there. So I feel like the fighters had to fill off that energy, even though it's the altitude and all that and might potentially zap their gas tanks. Everybody came out firing. You know, we had Kapilov, who had some adversary, uh, uh, adversity where he, uh, you know, he took some damage in the first round, got caught a few times, then came back with a head kick, dead knockout, too. So it was just, like, keeping the theme, you know, and that was that was cool, you know what I mean? But, like, the crowd was just was insane. You know, first it was, like, FU Russia and this and that. As soon as Kapilov lands that head kick, everyone's just like, ah, you know, like, going crazy. So it was, like, it was, it was, it was tight, man, great unbelievable like i said like the fighters had to feed off their energy just having that it was like everyone that was on the main card almost you know even the prelimers you know here's another one from uh, us she got she got a hat i got a free hat from the okay there's another that guy i met at the in the at the masvidal in the masvidal uh meet and greet line okay the UV, ups guy okay what are the odds he's sitting in the exact same section as us maybe like 15 a few rows ahead i don't want to put you know put it like that but you know behind us i mean and then, so we, I was just thinking, yeah, I wish I'd have got his number. I wish I'd have said, you know, what's up, whatever, you know, because they were cool people, you know. Next thing you know, who we see walking around the corner, him and his son, he gives me that hat, that UFC Cuervo hat. So, yeah, my wife had a rocket, you know, look, look better on her anyway than me. But, uh, yeah, it was just that kind of coincidences, you know. It was just, like, cool as hell, just that cool vibe. And, um yeah, and there's some guys right here that I was hanging out with, Cy and two brothers, Cy and Joe. One was from uh, Colorado, one was from Wyoming, and they kind of just, you know, drove and met in the middle, met in Utah and, and just celebrated. And they were just sitting next to me. I looked like their dad next to them right there. They were little guys, you know what I mean, but super fans, super cool, you know, just great time, you know what I mean. It was, it was amazing. Like, everybody there was just so damn cool and nice. So the crowd was electric. Um and then, uh, yeah, and then, like, uh, like I was saying, we, we, um, uh, so, yeah, let's go to the main card, really. I'll just start with the main card. 
you know, we had Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Holland, which kind of went a little as expected because I kind of thought Kevin Holland would pick him apart on the feet a little more. But I felt like Chiesa, obviously we all know, you know, he could say one trick pony or not, but he's really effective when he gets a takedown, gets on top position. He chokes people. You know, he's been choking people since tough, before tough days, you know, like so we know he has that, you know, and that's the one path of victory I thought that could give Holland trouble because like, even like uh, Chiesa looked huge. Like he looked big, you know, he looked way bigger than Holland. Like they both looked like little same size and Holland's big. You know, he's fought at 185, you know, like he's fought 185 and 170. Although I don't think he cuts much at all for 185, but like, you know, Kiesa looked jack. You know, he's huge. You know, he looked like a big ass dude. Like he cuts a lot of weight to get 170, I'm sure. But uh, it looked like amazing shape. You know, looked looked a lot stronger. And I think he was banking on that being a lot stronger than Holland. But you got to remember, Kevin Holland's a black belt under Travis Luter, who was a beast, legit beast himself. You know, and so you know he knew how to defend and stifle the takedown attempts he landed a nice a beautiful knee and he had a huge reach advantage that's why i was like kevin hall this is his fight to win is a perfect matchup for him because i'm not because kiesa don't offer as much on the feet and he has a ground game but you know kevin being as long as he is you know he's so tall and long he probably could you know stifle a lot of that stuff and he was able to he landed a nice knee that you know, that kind of hurt uh, Kiesa, and then Kiesa started getting a little desperate for the takedowns, and it ended up in a first round, uh, Kevin Holland with a darts choke finish. I mean, that was the one I didn't think anyone kind of expected that to happen. Like, I thought Kevin Holland beat him on the feet, maybe TKO or something like that, but to actually go in there and darts choke him when, you know, Kiesa was saying, I'm going to choke him out easy. Yeah, it was, it was cool. It showed It shows... Holland's obviously, he's always a fan favorite. People like him. They like to watch him fight. He always brings it. He'll fight anybody, you know, short notice, whatever notice, no notice. He fought Kamzat, got ragdolled by Kamzat when nobody wanted to fight him, and he missed weight. So it's like, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's Kevin Holland definitely put on a quit, a good show there. Didn't take much damage, so he'll probably be ready to go again soon. You know, who knows? He's always ready to go, always ready to fight. And then the the uh, next fight on the card on the main card was Bobby Green, OG King Bobby Green, against Tony Alcagui, another OG in the sport. Two legends, two pioneers in the game. Really, you know, they've been around forever. Bobby Green, strike force, wrestle came came from San Bernardino, Fontana. I mean, the Inland Empire area. Also did some training in uh, Utah, which he paid homage to Jeremy Horn. Trained for a couple years when he was in strike force there, which you know it was. Bobby put on a show. He put on a great performance. Alcacui, obviously, he don't look the same as he used to. The crowd went nuts when Tony was announced. So I think Tony did get the biggest reception out of everybody there. Like, everyone just loves him. You know, even though, you know, a little weird and all that. He hasn't been the same since Gagey, I think. And and he didn't look bad. You know, even against the, in the Chandler fight, he didn't look bad at all. He won that first round. You know, he dropped Chandler. He did well, and then he just got punted, you know, and, and got finished. And that would have knocked out anybody. You know what I mean? That would have probably – that would have knocked out a heavyweight probably, you know, like – properly placed if you know Chandler could actually kick a heavyweight in the head but you know he's a little smaller guy but but anyway uh, but like Tony did look pretty decent he had good movement you know awkward he always has this awkward herky-jerky style but when he came out the place was electric like ladies and gentlemen the party has just begun you know everyone is just jumping up dancing like you know it's an old school song you know back from like break dancing days but you know he was he, that's Tony you know what I mean it's that gets everyone into it and it, it was a good fight i mean it was a good fight it was entertaining but it was also sad to see because we don't you know as a tony fan as well i don't no one wants to see him get hurt no one wants to see him get beat 
or just take a beating. And Bobby was putting it on him. You know, Tony did drop Bobby in the first round, but it was kind of more like a, like Bobby was coming in and his footing wasn't, I think his feet weren't under him. At the same time, Tony threw a right hand. So it wasn't, I don't think Bobby was really hurt. Definitely a punch was thrown and he got dropped, but he got up and, you know, and I, I'm not sure if Tony thought he was more hurt than he was because right after that, Bobby landed an inverted eye poke in Tony, which I do do I do think that affected Tony because even in the second round, he was still kind of touching his eye, like, uh, you know, like it was still hurting him. But I think he should have took maybe a little more time, which kudos to uh, Dan Mergliata. He gave him, like, every chance in the world and, and even said, are you sure? You want more time? You know, like he, he took maybe a minute and a half, two minutes. But he was even saying, you take – you okay? You sure? You're like – Come on, Tony, like, let me know. And Tony wanted to get back in there. You know, I, I don't know if he thought maybe Bobby was hurt more than he was or he wanted to jump on him or it's just Tony's a dog and I don't care. You know, he could chop my arm off. I'm still going to come after you, you know, cyborg type thing. I mean, but it would have been nice. Yeah, maybe he should have took a little more time. I don't know. It's hindsight. You know, who knows? But, I mean, it was a good fight overall. Tony did try to grapple here and there, but you can't underestimate Bobby Green's just total fight IQ rounded and it's well-rounded skill set you know boxing obviously he likes the hands down he could do that but he also got some good jiu-jitsu and wrestling you know high school wrestling background you know so i mean he's been training with some good guys forever you know, he's been training forever you know what I mean? so he's seen it all as well you know other than tony's you know herky-jerky unorthodox style you know which but bobby green with his hands down head movement i mean you know, Tony did have a long reach advantage in that. I think that might have played a factor in that first round, at least. And then Bobby Green just started kind of picking him apart on the feet, landing some shots, man. It's so Tony still has a good chin and so much will, like so much belief in himself that he'll never give up on himself. You know, and, and that's one thing you can always say about Tony Ferguson. And he he still he was still coming, he was still bringing it and still moving forward, still pressuring. Maybe when he even shouldn't have, maybe he should have let the shorter guy come towards him. You know, like or the the, the less reach man. You know, not shorter so much shorter but you know he has a longer reach maybe let that guy come to him a little more but bobby but um you know bobby did his thing ended up you know when he had some vicious nice grounding pound when he got on top which everyone you know he got on top tony when usually tony's on his back he's throwing up submissions he's got a crazy wicked guard throwing sick elbows and he threw a few you know i think he might even cut open bobby i think but bobby landed some pretty nice hammer fists and vicious you know, uh, ground and pound, and then he ended up with a Darce choke, and Tony was fighting it with everything he had. You know, it was seconds left in the fight, uh, maybe f three to six seconds. I don't know what it was left, and and Tony just goes to sleep, and they stop the fight, and obviously Bobby Green, congratulations, Bobby Green. Great performance. I mean, showed up, showed out, and represented, you know, um, and uh, who knows what's next for him. It's going to be, you know, he's got to get a better opponent. And then uh, that brings us to the next fight, which was uh, Derek Lewis, who came out uh, came out with a flying knee, runs across the cage, throws a flying knee, lands it, and just basically Donkey Kong punches and ground and pounds until the ref. I was even kind of like, man, like, yeah. And the crowd was going crazy anyway. Just, yeah. And I was just like, come on, ref, help him out. You know, like almost stopped this fight because Derek Lewis needed this win. Even though his contract's up, whatever, you know, he needed this win big time. And he... And he showed he got it, you know what I mean? And, of course, he, he was a usual catchphrase, balls is hot, drops his shorts, runs around the cage, you know, usual catchphrases and always good on the mic. You know, his wife, you know, he said she was going to get it when she got home, you know, just he's always funny. And uh, he threw his, uh, his gloves into the crowd, so a lot of people thought, you know, it was, I mean, he's retiring, but 
I think more than anything, that means that, you know, his contract's up. So now he's a free agent. You could go test the market, you know. So <clears throat> that was that, you know, that fight. Then the co-main. So, yeah, congratulations to Derek Lewis back in the win column. See what's up next for him. Light, heavyweight's a little, like, a light as far as the, I don't want to say talent because everybody's talented in the UFC. But as far as just, the, you know, you know, like how many great fighters are there. So he, he could, uh, in heavyweight, you're always a couple, few fights away from being in contention. So, so especially got a name like Lewis and he has always stepped up a lot too and fought when maybe he shouldn't have, you know, looked great, had a six pack, two sixty three or whatever he weighed in at with a freaking six pack. And he's out athletic, you know, he's crazy. Like coming with a flying knee, no one expected that. You know. Yeah, so that brings us to the co main event, Yablohovich versus Alex Pahea in a was promised to be or expecting to be a barn burner crazy striking match possibly with you know obviously the key of victory for Jan was to be able to get it down and try to big brother him like he did Izzy to win that when they're when they're about and uh so Jan all week was saying yeah I'm gonna test my striking I'm gonna do that I kind of felt like that was just almost reverse psychology or just to throw him off I was thinking that I go I don't know I think he might just try to wrestle like pretty much the whole fight which might be at his own detriment at elevation and uh, exactly what happened. Ten seconds in, Jan gets a, goes for a takedown. And uh, Alex did a pretty decent job of defending for a bit. He uh, actually had a standing guillotine for a while he was holding on to. And maybe he learned from Glover's mistake against Yuri not to just pull guard and end up on his back with a, a big, you know, but Jan on top of him. So he kind of let that, or he, he kind of let it go and then ended up getting taken down. And Jan pretty much had his back for like th like four minutes of the first round. Had his back, threatened a, a couple, a uh, few rear naked chokes. And Pahea did an amazing job, like super impressive uh, by Alex Pahea to, you know, just to stifle all the rear naked choke attempts. Like he was doing everything right immediately, had his chin tucked, fighting, you know, getting in the right away, pulling down two on ones, you know, breaking grips. You know, doing everything he could do to survive at that point. Jan had a body triangle, but it was kind of like a weird position of the body triangle. <clears throat> like he wasn't, it wasn't like he was just, you know, on his back, you know, just based, you know, like with a good base squared up on uh, uh, Pahea's back. He was kind of off to the side a bit. So, but the cage was also helping him. So it was like they were up against the cage. Jan's like half his body is on the leaning on the cage. The other half is kind of like just like a body triangle on Pahea. So, I mean, he probably had to use a lot more energy just to hold that position, squeeze his legs a little more, and just to shift your weight so you don't fall off the side. There was one point I think DC even mentioned it. I would have liked to see Pahea try to dump him, you know, like maybe, you know, get his shoulder down on that side. You know, the cage was helping uh, Jan keep that position. So, now he had that against it. Maybe if he could have pulled off the cage and then tried it, maybe he could have got ended up on top of Jan or at least to stand back up. But I mean, you know, that maybe Alex just didn't want to risk getting even a worse position or letting make making a mistake and Jan getting a choke in or doing whatever, you know. So maybe he didn't want to do that or expend too much energy himself. Just kind of, you know, he was trying to get up, but it wasn't, you know, he got a big Jan's huge as well. He's a big uh, light heavyweight. So. You got all that weight you're carrying. So, I mean, maybe he just didn't want to zap his own gas tank. And I think it was, to Jan's detriment, I think he gassed himself out just trying to hold down a big, strong 230-plus-pound 
Alex Pahea, you know, who obviously is a physically strong guy. He wasn't, he's a lot bigger than Adesanya. He's a natural 205 or he could probably fight a heavyweight. Izzy, you know, he came in under the weight at 205 when he fought Yan. Yeah, I think it was like 204, 203. So it's like, you know, there's it's a, it's a huge difference in the grappling. Maybe not even technical ability, but as far as just the strength and power of Pahea and, you know, he's he's a strong guy, so it's going to be hard to just to hold that guy down. It's going to take more out of you to do that if you don't get the finish or if you're not getting a lot of damage done. You know, like, uh, there was really no damage done with uh, the takedowns of um, Jan. He had three takedowns in the fight. The first round, obviously, was 10-9. It could almost arguably 10-8, but it wasn't any damage done other than a couple of rear-naked choke attempts, but he was on his back the whole time, which is dominant position even though it was kind of a weird side back, you know, like sideways type thing, you know. So, I mean, that there was controversy in this fight, and I'll get to that. But first round, definitely 10-9 yawn. I mean, arguably 10-8, but I don't, I don't see that because it wasn't – it was a couple threads of, of chokes, but Alex pretty much stifled him immediately. It was never like, oh, damn, he almost got flattened out for a second. Don't get me wrong. I was worried. Uh, everyone who was rooting for Pahea that first round was worried, you know. He got taken out of me. He was like, oh, man, this is how this fight's going to be. You know, and he was throwing some chokes. And it just showed that, that he's leveled up big time, training with uh, Teixeira. And another thing, that I, a point that I had, like, he, Alex uh, Pahea, um trained with and helped game plan uh, with Glover Teixeira when he defeated Jan. So this is basically his second camp preparing for Jan, whatever Jan brings. So I think that was a, a huge factor. Not a lot of people really... You know, yeah, obviously Teixeira beat him pretty easily, handily, but to, he helped uh, Teixeira do that and game plan for him. So that's that's basically like two camps for for Jan, and I think that helped Pahea. So he kind of knew what to expect a little bit. He knew he was going to try to get wrestled immediately, stuff like that, and hold him down. So, but I think Jan gassed himself out, and you could kind of tell they both got up slowly after the, the bell rang in the first round. They were both like getting up very slowly. They both look a lot slower after that. You know, even Pahea's body language is like, oh, damn, he looks a little tired. But, you know, but when it comes just to stand-up now, they got to start every round, start standing. And, and Pahea's way more efficient with his stand-up energy. He could do that all day. You know, like he just marches forward and, you know, just kind of stays high, throws those low calf kicks, effortless kicks, jabbing to the body. He did. I think he did a really good job of jabbing because he, he hits hard and he, he threw some some kicks to the body. But that jab to the body, I think, was zapping uh, Jan's energy even more, you know, his gas tank. And he landed a head kick in that round as well, Pahea, like kind of grazingly, not like a straight-on shin-to-chin head kick. He hit him with maybe the top part of the foot or so, like the side top, you know. And uh, it, it did land a little, you know. But, I mean, Jan was definitely, you could tell, visibly affected and also just fatigued. You know, they were both tired, but Jan a little more, you could tell he was more gassed. And uh, so that was basically the second round. After the second round, it was kind of like, okay, Pahea started getting his timing down. He started doing things. I think he got taken down again, but he got up He got up pretty fast. He ended up in a – he went for a takedown, I believe. And then he he ended up in a, in guard. You know, Jan ended up in his guard and no damage done as well. I think if Jan just started just doing some crazy ground and pound and doing – you know, going for it, it might have swayed judges differently. So, I mean, it, it would have gave him more points, but it didn't as far as – because with the new criteria, like, you, you it's like you got to have a takedown. It's just a takedown. If you don't do anything with it, it don't count as much as a, back in the day. Like, no more lay and pray. You know, like, lay and pray is not really a thing anymore. Like, it doesn't really 
win fights as much. I mean, unless the other guy absolutely does nothing, obviously, if the whole fight's that way, then, yeah, you're losing if you're on your back. But now if you're on your back and you're still throwing significant strikes and doing damage, it counts for more because damage kind of trumps all. And Pajaya did outstrike in the second round by a lot, uh, Jan. And throughout the fight, maybe 20, a little over 20 strikes, he more significant strikes than Jan. But Jan did land some strikes too. So after the second round, it was, I think everybody knew it was 1-1. You know, Jan looks, like I said, visibly tired. And Pajaya seemed like he started turning off the pace a little bit, putting up pressure, going forward, you know, and just stalking him, basically basically stalking Jan, staying out of range, not getting hit with too much, anything too big. Jan would throw stuff here and there that was landing. There were some good shots exchanged. But overall, Pajaya eating up Jan's leg. Jan did check some some kicks as well. You know, he does a good job. He has really good uh, leg uh, kick defense. So he, he landed some leg kicks himself. But uh, Pajaya overall was really destroying Jan's leg visibly, you know, you know, like he, he almost knocked him off balance a few times with that in that second round. And then the third round was kind of like similar, you know, like it was like Pajaya kind of coming forward. It was, it was pretty even round, you know, Pajaya was landing bigger shots and you could tell he physically hurt him. I think with the, even a jab a couple of times and, Oh, back to the second round though, right at the end of the second round, there was a point I, I was thinking, okay, because Pajaya, we seen when his last knockout, when he lost to Izzy, he had his hurt in the second round of their fight and which kind of jumped on him like he did in the first fight. He jumped on him, swarmed him, ref stopped it, you know, he to win the, the belt against Izzy the second time. You know, he kind of was a little overzealous. He had Izzy hurt, but maybe not as hurt as he thought he did. And Izzy is still always going to be dangerous. You know, he's still a world-class striker, one of the best in the world himself, and one of the best middleweights of all time as well. And and he's quick with that right hand. He's fast. You know, so he's faster to the punch than Pajaya. You know, he's faster than Pajaya. You know, so Pajaya's got the strength advantage and, and maybe even technical. Technically, they're pretty similar, but Adesanya is a little faster. So he was able to land that fastball, that fast right, to Pajaya catch him in when he got overzealous. And this fight, he had Jan up against the cage at the end of the second round, maybe the last 30 seconds or so, and he was doing a little more composed. He was definitely more composed, and he was throwing a lot, you know, kind of more calculated, not not rushing in. I think he didn't want the same mistake to happen, but I was thinking if he had fought that way against uh, Adesanya, he might have just he might have ran away with that fight because he was kind of dominated up until the point where he got knocked out. So it's like... If he had that composure against there, and then a little bit more of bring like just balls to the wall or you know foot on the gas when he had Jan hurt, I think he might have got Jan out of there because he was faster than Jan. Jan was not going to counter throw a, a, a fast counter like Adesanya, you know. Especially he was tired. He was you know he was just he was definitely more fatigued at that time. I think. It was almost like, but hey, if he had turned up the heat, he might have got him out of there at the end of that second round, or saved by the belt type situation. But uh, he he showed up that he learned. The one good thing is though, he showed that he learned from the Izzy fight and that mistake of being overzealous and just doing a little too much when he had him hurt, you know. And he he stayed composed, which is good. If he had done that against Izzy, he might still be champ at, at one eighty five, you know. So, but. You know, so that was that. So it was definitely Pajaya's round, round two. They're 1-1 now. Going into round three, it was a pretty close round. I mean, both land a lot of strikes. Uh, um, like I said, Pajaya doing great body work, that jab to the body, a couple kicks to the body, but the jab and the kicks, the leg kicks were adding up. Jan's leg was trashed, big old goose egg, big old egg on the side of his leg. 
you know, he he was he was landing some big shots on him. And Jan, Jan did too. He landed some strikes. It was a close round. It was a super close round. Jan gets a late takedown with like maybe 30, 40 seconds left, lands into the guard, doesn't do any grounding pound, doesn't do much at all. Actually, Pajera in that sequence lands more strikes from the bottom with his heel kicks and stuff like that. Also, I think a couple elbows, whatever, strikes from the bottom body, you know, hit him to the side of the body, always constantly attacking the body. So, I mean, ultimately, that round, it was a toss-up. It's not going to be like, when I was, when that, when Jan gets the takedown, everyone's just like, oh, man, I was like, that's it, it, it Jan won. I was thinking, because I'm thinking old criteria where a takedown wins the fight, you know, basically, it's a close round, you know, you get the takedown at the end, that means you kind of won, but obviously the, the refs or the judges look past that and look to significant strikes and damage damage trumps all. So under the new criteria, Pahea did land more and even in that off his back and did more damage off his back. And ultimately it was going to be two, three either way. So they read the decisions, you know, uh, you know, 29, 28 Pahea. And I was like, well, okay, maybe he has a chance here. And then 29, 28, Jan, and then the last one, 29-28, Alex Pajaya, the crowd erupts. He had a lot of support there, exciting fighter. You know, Jan was getting booed a lot because of the takedowns, because he was holding him basically, didn't do a ton of damage. You know, he did land some nice leg kicks and all that. I mean, and at first I was thinking, dang, I think he, you know, they, I thought Jan got, it was, not want to say robbery, but I thought it was more, I thought he was going to take that. That, But also the body language, you got to you gotta understand, like, the body language, plays a huge factor in that. As soon as the fight was over, you know, the final battle rang, you know, even though Jan was on top, you know, he his body language was he was done. Like, if they had, if that was a five-rounder, for sure, Pajaya, I don't think he could win another minute, honestly. He was so gassed. He went and just sat and just hunched over, just sat his butt at, at his back against the cage, just breathing hard, you know, just visibly totally fatigued, you know. Pajaya puts his arms up. You know, like, you know, I mean, that's the type of body language you want. Like, all right, yeah, I got this, you know. And, you know, I think that does matter. It's the last impression of the judges, what they see. And, like, hey, he obviously wasn't that damaged or Jan's strategy wasn't that effective. He jumped up and was like, yeah, I got this. And Jan, you know, implying his, implementing his strategy was gassed, you know, and didn't do a ton of damage. So the fight wasn't the most exciting fight other than the fact that, you know, every time Pahaya throws a punch or a kick, it's devastating and exciting. But, you know, Pahaya got the win. You know, they gave it to him. And I've been seeing online, and I went and watched it back twice, and now I can see why they gave it to Pahaya, you know, because he did land more. He was being – he was more effective with his striking and his tactics. And Jan was basically just trying to wrestle him from the beginning, which we'll get to later. Uh, you know, I'm going to make a what's next after this because, you know, Pajaya showed a ton of improvement. And this that's scary because Jan was the scariest guy for Pajaya other than Ankalaev in that division. Other than that, it's all strikers. And not saying they're not dangerous. They're definitely dangerous strikers in that division that could knock out Pajaya. You know, so he's definitely more technically – he's technically more sound and better than – all the strikers basically in the UFC, Adesanya, you know, they're neck and neck. But, you know, as far as just straight power, like Jamal Hill, you know, Yuri, those guys can knock him out still, you know, because they have a lot of power, you know. So, I mean, that's still – and his chin still might not be all the way, you know, it's still questionable, you know, at any weight. But, uh, but that's another thing. He don't have the weight cut as much. So, he's at 205, that extra 20 pounds, you know, more water in the brain, more everything. So, 
he I felt like he was able to take a punch. Yeah, I landed a couple of big shots on him, and he ate him, you know, so and just kept coming forward. So, I mean, that's a good thing. I Like I said, I, speed is power. Adesanya is a lot faster to that punch. These guys at, at this weight are going to be a little slower, and I think that is going to help ahead as far as defensively. He stayed a little bit more defensive, uh, defensive-minded as well, not just rushing in. So, I mean, he definitely learned from that. So, that, that fight, yeah, that was that – was, uh, it wasn't as exciting as it was. I wish it was a five-rounder, but uh, still, I, I'm happy to see Pajaro win. I mean, I don't think anyone wanted to see Jan go on and try to implement that game plan against Yuri or, or against Jamal Hill, you know, the top guys in the division that want to strike. So, I mean, ultimately, I think the right decision was made. I mean, I can see an argument for either way. I feel, I feel for Jan to lose that way. He did give us all, but ultimately, I think it was a, not the best game plan. And I, th- I think he underestimated... Uh, Pajaro's grappling, you know, big time. Just because, you know, in the in the first fight with Izzy, Pajaro like went for like a judo type head toss or hip throw, and you know, Izzy was able to take advantage of that, end up on top. And part of it was like, like I feel like you know, Pajaro was resting a little bit because the first two rounds were fast paced. You know, a lot of leg kicks, a lot of stuff was being thrown. You know, uh, the second round, uh, Izzy actually caught Pajaro and cracked him and hurt him so it was or the end of the first round actually so i mean he's still recovering from that i think he might have took that round off with izzy he wasn't taking damage he wasn't getting submission you know there wasn't a lot of submission attempts from izzy he was kind of just laying on him and holding him holding him down and i think if anything if you look at what happens in the fourth and fifth round izzy started to wither because he was wrestling that whole third round and hey started coming on stronger so i'm thinking if anything he might have just been buying his time and waiting out, recovering, and, you know, saving his energy and zapping Izzy's, you know, trying to hold his his big body down, you know. And so I think ultimately I think a lot of people underestimated him for that. I think it was a little bit of both. Like he didn't try to get up, obviously, but maybe he was resting a little bit, taking that round off. Like, all right, I'm already on my back. I'm going to lose this round. I'll give this round off and just come back stronger the next round. And I think a lot of people just took like, oh, he has no wrestling. He has no ground game, no anything. I think he showed a lot. I proved a lot of people wrong working with Glover Teixeira, like especially so new in the MMA game. Every week he's going to be making you know, pr- uh, progress. He's going to he's going to progress like immensely every week. You know, like he's going to get better. Just and he's a sponge. So and he has that mindset, a champion mindset. He's already been a champ here, double champion glory. So I mean, he has an opportunity now to fight Yuri, maybe and be a, a possible double champ, champ. You know, double champion glory, double champion UFC. If he does that, it's arguable that greatest combat fighter of all time you know like i mean you know suhudo's got the gold medal he's got somewhat of an argument but you got a double champ champ two organizations i mean what's what's more impressive i mean i don't know uh, you know a triple c or or quadruple you know like a double champ champ i mean so that that's that'll be definitely something we'll see we'll have to wait and see what happens you know that that seems like the fight to make yuri and they're talking i think uh later on at the end of the year december card Yuri versus uh, who never lost a belt, who relinquished it after he, you know, he beat Glover, but then had an injury, so he hasn't fought in a while, over a year now, and uh, so they're gonna possibly fight at the end of the year. I think it has to be the fight to make, which is great. You know, a lot of people were talking about this one. There was rumors for this one to be an interim title, which would I would have been fine with. I get it. You know, you know, Pajero just came off a loss. Like I said, it was the last video was like Chael when he lost to Anderson Silva then you know, took advantage of a situation and fought John Jones for a bad off a loss. So, I mean, it would be similar to that, but 
just a circumstance, you know, like opportunity knocks, jump on it. And, you know, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was that fight. So, like, so far, like I said, this car, this crowd, everything's electric. I mean, Pahet knows how to make an entrance, you know, with his whole freaking, ah, you know, like so when he gets there, it's like coming in like like a warrior, like, you know what I mean? And then even, you know, Jan, it was, it was really exciting. So that brings us to the main event, you know, main event time. LFG, let's fucking go. And and that's the BMF belt was on the line against two of the BMFers of the, you know, you can't argue. This whole card, like I said, was a BMF card. But these two guys, I mean, they, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gagey, always deliver. They've never been in a boring fight, never not brought it. You know what I'm saying? Like, always showed up, always show out. Always give it their all. Two dogs, two dogs getting in a cage and and just going at it, like you know. And and their first fight was a war, you know. The first fight, like Dustin Poirier, basically came out with a victory, but Gagey inflicted a lot of damage as well. And and it, he needed that fight to learn from it, you know. But yeah, let's talk about this fight. We'll get into that. Like uh, so, first round comes out. I mean. Guns blazing as usual. I felt like Dustin Poirier was putting on a, a fast pace, a little maybe a little too much pressure. Like I feel like maybe he could have let Gagey come forward a little more to him. I kind of felt like it played into Gagey's hand so he could kind of like stay back and up against the cage a little. Not not up against the cage, but just you know within you know in that range circling. Kind of remind me of Chuck Liddell when he was on it. You know, he anytime you seen Chuck Liddell on his horse, like just waiting for an opening to explode, he had the power, you know, to do it, and he had wrestling as well. Gagey kind of reminds me of Chuck in that regard. You know, maybe a little more tools, you know, striking wise. And Chuck, Chuck just had a crazy power, but you know, in his hands. I mean, he had some kicks, but he didn't really kick much. He had some good wrestling. Use it usually just to get up. Gagey kind of similar. You know, he only uses wrestling really to just just to anti-wrestle or just get up or not getting taken down. You know, he don't really take people down much, so he he's like a destroyer. So it kind of reminded me of that a little bit, just kind of, you know, work, moving side to side, using a lot of movement, which and being efficient with his, his, his movement, not coming out guns blazing like he used to and gassing himself out in the first round. So, I mean, I think that showed a lot, and they both landed a lot in that first round. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Gagey... He had his moments with the leg kicks, landed some big shots up top, threw a couple of high kicks, you know, that were like a foretent, like, you know, foreshadowing what's to come. Like, you know, I was even mentioning it when I was, you know, talking during the fight. I go, damn, he's throwing up those head kicks. He threw like two or three in that first round up that Dustin blocked, but still they're fillers, you know, they're just something to think about and something to read and something, you know, and Poirier, there was a time, I'm not sure where, he landed because, like I said, Poirier was putting a lot of pressure. He was throwing a lot of combos, doing what he does. He landed some big shots as well, busted up. Uh, Gagey, I think, with a nice right hand, I think I believe it was. Also threw a nice left. I wasn't sure if it landed to the chest or to the throat or or the chin, but Gagey kind of folded over like he did against Michael Chandler when he got hit. And Poirier didn't really jump on him. I don't know how hurt he was. I don't know if he was super hurt or just kind of just maybe knocked the wind out of him or what happened. But Gagey recovers pretty quick. And... Uh, that round was kind of close. I could see going to Poirier, it kind of could have went either way. They both guys did a lot. Maybe even a 10-10. Like so I'm saying, like I would like to see more 10-10 rounds. Like that first round, I feel like could have been a 10-10 round. Like because they both had moments. They both, you know, landed big shots. Poirier was the aggressor. Like I'm saying, he was putting on a lot of pressure, which I'm not. I mean, yeah, of course, Poirier, he's got good, you know, combos, good head movement. 
the Philly shell, like he's he's really tough to hit clean with the boxing. And I, you know, so, but he was coming forward a lot more than I think he normally does. Like, I just think he's more where he's just more kind of more, he could be more patient in a counter and just throw some combos as counters. And he, I don't think he has a, so much of the one punch knockout, you know, like he hits hard for sure. Like everyone says that Poirier hits hard. You could tell it affects him, kicks, everything. And I feel like Poirier definitely leveled up in his late kick game. Maybe he learned a lesson from their first fight when Gagey kind of destroyed his legs. Like maybe Poirier took, all right, I, I want to get into this low calf game because he showed against Connor, he showed against in all his fights that, you know, Poirier definitely leveled up that game. Even in this fight, he threw some. And uh, and it was just early in the second round. We come out, first round, like I said, it was even. It could have went either way. 10-10, I say in my book, that's a 10-10 round. Second round comes out pretty early in it, maybe a minute in or so. Um, Gagey throws basically the same combo that, you know, like a – uh, Leon Edwards did or Kapilov did kind of the right hand at, at the same time or the late the head kick right behind the right hand and Gagey I mean a, a Poirier DP he he did put his hand up to block you know so he did the right thing he read it but he kind of blocked it like it was a punch and it was a kick and the foot went still went around the guard and caught him and just dropped him immediately hammer fist by uh, Gagey like immediately fights over done you know it wasn't poor. He wasn't out cold, but he was out. You know, he dropped ugly. Ref saved him. You know, Gagey ran up the cage, did his patented backflip. And uh, that's all she wrote. Gagey's the BMF. He got the BMF belt. Um, Jorge Masvidal, you know, I know he's upset. He's going for Poirier. Didn't put it around his waist. A lot of people make it about it, uh, make a big deal about that. He put it over his shoulder. But at the same time, you know, he, you can't not. These are the two guys you can't really hate on, Poirier or Gagey, you know, because, like, no matter what, even if that's your boy or whatever, you got to get respect and props because both these guys are warriors. Both of you guys are must-see TV. Their fights, you know, you know this could have been a boxing match, you know, and they, I would have bought that pay-per-view, like, whatever they were going to do. You know, so two competitive athletes, high level, and um, that's just insane. Insane fight, insane card. I mean, it totally delivered in every aspect that, you know, everything you want in a car. The crowd was nuts. I mean, but like what I like about this one difference about MMA or UFC fans and like you would think, you know, there's a lot of crap talking here and there, you know, with your guy, but it's not like, say, Raiders against Cowboys or whoever or 49ers, whoever, where you got teams fighting and rioting after, you know, you know, fans and all that, just taking it so personal and mad. Like, I think everyone has a different level of respect for these fighters, and, and it's a fight game. You know, you guys could lose, win this time and lose the next time. So, but, but yeah, dude, Utah, Salt Lake, head kick city, return, you know, that's, I mean, you're losing, you got to watch that head kick. You know, I mean, if you're winning, you got to be careful and watch that head kick. You know, Carl Usman dominated Edwards, gets head kick in the, in the last of the fifth round to lose his belt. Same thing happened here with Poirier. Not that he was dominating. It was a close first round, but got head kicked. Kapilov, he got rocked and was losing the fight, arguably. Comes back with a head kick. I mean, something about this. It's just like, let's finish this. This is too tiring up here, this elevation. You know, but that's another thing I thought might uh, favor Gagey because he's been so much more composed and learned so much from their first fight, and he had a level up. Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier put a beating on Gagey that made him think, all right, I can't just alpha male these guys. I can't just come out here and just destroy all these guys. Not at the highest level, 
it's got to be more tactical if I want to be at that best, you know, because, you know, when he was at World Series of Fighting, even when he came to the UFC, it's like he was dominating and knocking out and getting nothing but finishes. So if it's not broken, why fix it? You know, I felt like that was Gagey's mentality. I come out here and just alpha dog all these guys, you know, alpha male, these dudes. And that just, you know, wasn't the case at the very top level because there's just levels to it. And I, he had he needed Poirier so he could level his own game up and get more composed and be smarter and, you know, different fight IQ. Same thing, I think Poirier, you know, like he leveled up with his late kick game. You know, they learn from each other. You learn from every fight. And I think I just – I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I think Gagey is going to – he's most likely he's going to get uh, the winner of Islam and and uh, Charles Dubronx and uh, Abu Dhabi. I think that's in a couple months. Um, so whoever the winner that is, Gagey's right there. So excited. Amazing night of fights. Uh, Utah is great. I mean, Salt Lake City, I don't know about the elevation with having these type of cards because people would gas. But other than the co-main, it didn't seem like it was that big of a factor. Everybody, you know, brought it, like I said, from the fans to the fighters to the the people, the city. You know, it was just great. You know, oh, yeah, one more thing. When we left, <laughs> kind of funny, We I look over. We left early in the morning yesterday, like, uh, I don't know, we left the hotel like 5.30 in the morning or something like that. It's dark still. I look over, it's Rashad Evans you know, sitting next to us in traffic. Like, you know, like, it's just one of those things. Like, and I, I, I was like, my wife's like, Stop, don't stare at him, don't stare at him. It's only obvious. Oh, it's dark, he can't see me. You know, but so it's just a thing like, damn, we've seen Rashad again. You know, like, he, he welcomed us into, you know, our hotel. And then when we left, he was leaving. And then we're walking through the airport and we see Anthony Smith. We see an ESPN bag, backpack, him and it looked like his wife. Two, you know, ESPN backpacks walking, and she's like, "Is that Anthony? Is that is Anthony Smith?" I go, "Lionheart? Oh no way, no way!" You know, she's like, "Well, let's try to go get a picture with him." You know, that kind of weekend we're meeting fighters, like, "Let's try to go get a picture with him." So we get up to, we're going up the escalator and trying to catch up to him. You know, he he looks huge, and he was like, "Good, is a six three? He looked good shape." And then, you know, I recognize too, just his tattoos, everything. Okay, so we're behind him still. He turns around because he was basically going the wrong direction. So then we crossed paths, and I'm like, hey, what's up, man? Like that, just kind of like, what's up? I was going to say Lionheart, but I, couldn't, I, I got a little bit like, oh, damn, like, what am I going to say? And then I wanted to get a picture with him, and he just kind of smiled and acknowledged, like, what's up, bro? What's up, brother? Or something like that. And he kept walking fast. Turn, and then we go and sit down, and we're waiting for, we were at our gate. Then we hear on the loudspeaker uh, that, that they're basically holding the plane for Anthony Smith. They mentioned his name, like, so not to put him on blast, but that guy was running late. And if we had, we had stopped, he had stopped to take a picture with us, he might have missed his plane. So it was like, we were sitting there, and they were like, Anthony Smith, they're calling him on the loudspeaker. So kind of funny, but Lionheart, shout out to Lionheart, just for even just a, a quick acknowledgement and just genuine, like, what's up, man, type thing. You know, because you got, I have my UFC hat on, obviously I'm a fucking fan and all that, so... You know, I mean, I had a great conversation with a guy who was sitting next to me who was at the fight as well. We talked the whole whole flight, you know, just about to Oakland because we, we had a layover on the way back. Not stopped there. On the way back, we had to stop in Oakland and then come home to Cali. But, uh, yeah, that flight went by quick because we were just talking about the fights, talking about everything MMA. But, uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Until um, next time, uh, next, next pay-per-view, I believe, is uh, – in Boston, Aljo versus uh, Sean O'Malley and Weili Zhang against, uh, who is she fighting? I just seen it last night. Um, Brazilian. Oh, no, I'll make a video on that as soon as I get a little better, but I know it's going to be a great fight. Um, but, yeah, that's all I got. Till next time. See ya.
Okay, so that brings us to what's next after UFC 291. And I, I'm just going to talk about the co-main and the main. What's next for Alex Pahea? What's next for Jan, DP, and JG? Um, I think for, obviously, for Jan, he's got a, he's over 40, 41 years old. He might have to think about what he wants to do with his career. Does he want to be a gatekeeper type? Does he want to, I mean, he's, even that, that's not the most stacked division, so it's like heavyweight. You're only a few fights away maybe from contention again. But, like, that was the best matchup for Pahea to win. That was absolutely one of the worst matchups for Pahea was Jan and Ankalaev. Those are the two guys who were, like, the scary guys for him because of the grappling and the question mark or, you know, the hole that everyone thought that Pahea really had with grappling. And I think it would be tested more against Ankalaev, obviously, a little better wrestler than Jan. You know, Jan had a better submission game probably, but, but I mean, so Pahea yeah, definitely passed that test. And, you know, I don't know what's next for Jan. That's up to him if he wants to keep fighting and what he's going to do. He feels like he was robbed, so maybe that will give him enough where I want to fight my way back to this. You know, uh, but uh, for Pahea, I mean, they're talking Yuri and Pahea at the end of the year. That makes sense. That's absolute banger of a fight, a- amazing matchup. You're going to have, like, striking versus striking, you know, Yuri's not going to try and take down Alex Pahea. I mean, Pahea is definitely a more seasoned or sharpened type of a striker. And you got uh, Yuri, who's more unorthodox, power in both hands, unpredictable. And that that's going to make it a scary fight for Pahea fans. You know, like, so Pahea definitely could win it if it's just a tactical battle and he could stay out of, you know, he could lay kick him and, and catch him. Yuri, he's another hands-down type guy. Just throw some weird angles and crazy strikes super explosive so i mean that's definitely dangerous he can knock out anybody you know yuri's got that kind of power so but at the same time he could be hit as well and paheya's got one of the probably the most devastating left hook in sports so i mean at least in mma and kickboxing so i mean that's been proven so i mean that that fight that's fireworks right there can't wait for that one that's that's definitely has to happen and you got jamal hill recovering waiting because he relinquished his bout after his Achilles injury. He's going to be out for probably like at least a year. He can get the winner of that one. That's those three right there. There was those that three. They can't have like not both of those matchups are crazy. Either Yuri Hill, Pahea Hill, you know, vice versa. You know what I mean? So those, those fights are going to be crazy. That, that, that division just gave a lot of life to the division because now strikers are right there in the mix. And it's not just about wrestlers and, there's not a lot of wrestlers in that division. It's not a wrestling-heavy division. So that that is a division where Pahea can become a champ. I was saying earlier, double champ, champ, first glory, you know, middleweight and light heavyweight champ. If he does the same thing in UFC, there's an argument there, greatest combat uh, fighter of all time, you know, double champ, champ. You know, sorry, Triple C, you the man. You got your gold medal, double champ, you know, in the UFC, but you got four-time champ, that's double champ champ. I mean, that, just, that sounds a little better. Triple C sounds dope, but double champ champ, that's like, wow. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, and he might not be done there. You know, like, obviously he wants to rematch against Izzy, which I don't even, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, why kill yourself to make 185 for your Pahaya? You beat Izzy three times. Like, yeah, you're one and one in the UFC. You beat him, you're three and one overall. I would think, if anything, he's so huge. Why not go up to heavyweight after after John Jones retires? After John Jones and Steve Bay, obviously, because I don't think he has anything for John Jones. John Jones fight IQ, wrestling, reach, just everything, just dogging him as well. 
I think he he would. That's a horrible matchup. That maybe like a Sergey because that guy is so freaking huge. But uh, but he's closer to heavyweight I think than he is to middleweight. You know, he's weighing over two thirty fight night on this one. So I would say, imagine that we got a double champ or double pride champ, uh, glory champ and a triple UFC champ, which hasn't been done yet. Middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight. That I think Pahea, that's more doable. Not, he could go back down and be Izzy. I'm not saying he couldn't. He's done it. He's done it already. But I'm saying I think it'd be it'd be even more meaningful to legacy and just then you can't argue that he's the best combat sports of all time. If he if he does in fact beat Yuri and then if he moved up and and got the heavyweight belt, which there's not a lot of crazy wrestlers in heavyweight. Curtis Blades, John Jones, obviously, you know, but. There's not, it's not going to be, he, and he'll be a lot faster than those guys and, you know, definitely more tactical and more seasoned as a striker. So, I mean, that's, I think, more doable. I think that would be, a, I mean, no one's ever probably going to do that again if he, or have the opportunity to. So hopefully he can do, he, hopefully that is a goal. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's up to, at the end of the day, it's up to Alex and his team, what he wants to do, what his goals are in his fighting career, he might just win the bell and be like, I'm done, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Or he might want that get back with Izzy. So who knows? Or at 185 or 205, who knows, you know, because Izzy, you know, he's already pretty much beat everybody other than uh, Duplessis, you know, at middleweight and Strickland. But, you know, they're talking about that fight maybe happening in, in, against Strickland. So we'll see if that does happen or not. UFC is, I mean, uh, people are coming out and saying the UFC doesn't want that fight. So who knows? I mean, they might want to wait for Duplessis, and Izzy has talked about moving up to 205. So maybe the rematch, the re rematch, if it does happen, would be at 205. But first, first things first, you know, he'd have to get past Yuri, obviously, which is a tough test, dangerous test. So, but exciting, exciting times for 205. It put a lot of life into a, a kind of a uh, not a stacked division, but yeah, great times for that. And then the main event. The main fighters, and you got DP, what's next for him? I think he could go and do the, the Benil fight at this point. You know, they're both coming off a loss. They're both right there. I don't think he's that far away from, you know, he's another, that whole division and that 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 whole division, the whole lightweights, the top five, six, they're, all, they're only like a, a win or two, three tops away from being right there at the belt again because everyone's so good right there. And, that, that division is stacked as it is. They've all fought each other. So it's like, you know, you could get – it's easy to get back in the mix. Benil was in was about to be in the mix. So Poirier and Benil, there was talks of that fight before this fight. That could happen. I, 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 favor, I favor Poirier in that fight. I mean, that could be a good bounce-back fight. He might maybe want to fight Kobe, but I think Kobe's fighting Edwards now. They're talking Madison Square Garden. So that's, they have beef there if he – if. Uh, Poirier does want to move up to 170 or a catch weight or something. I mean, who knows? The, you know, Poirier does have a name now, and everybody knows it's always a great fight. So he could, you know, he, he kind of call his shot somewhat too, you know. So, I mean, he's definitely not going to get the next title shot or the next next, but he's still, uh, like I said, everybody right there is a couple wins away from being right there again. And uh, so for Gagey, I think it, it's a no-brainer. He's going to get the winner of Islam and, and Charles and the Bronx. And, and that, either one of those fights would be great. I mean, you know, that's a whole different freaking video talking about Charles and Islam. But I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Gagey against Islam because Islam will strike with him. He's not, he's not, he's not going to go out there and run at him like Khabib did and, and gas him out in the first round. 
he will stay in the they will stay in the center of the cage. They will fight somewhat. And Islam is a, a pretty he's a pretty damn good striker himself, you know. So you can't make too many mistakes against that guy. And if he does get on top, then yeah. But I always want to see that Dagestani against a high level uh, wrestler or fighter. You know, although Gagey's a all American, you know, from Missouri, he didn't or was it Missouri? No, Arizona. He went to Arizona. I know that. He's from Arizona. But, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly now. Damn, brain fart. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, All-American wrestler, you know, that, that, that'd be interesting. If he just comes out and trains, you know, wrestling for that camp and does, you know, does all that, you know, work on his jiu-jitsu, tying up his jiu-jitsu defense, that could be a banger. I mean, either way, that's a banger. Like I said, Gagey's never in, in a non-banger fight. It's always must-see. He, he never misses his, his fights. So, I mean, I think that's what's next with Gagey. It has to be. You know, there's, not, there's what else is there? You know, if – uh, do Bronx wins and have that rematch for the belt, which was not, I won't say it was a close fight. Obviously, he rocked uh, uh, Charles a couple times, dropped him. His game plan got thrown out the window ten seconds in when when uh, Oliveira cracked him, you know, and hurt him. So they both have said that that's the hardest they ever been hit, you know, from the, from each other. So I mean that that fight would be a banger. But Islam too, we'll see. I mean, we got to get past you know that of the fight first. But uh, that that's just great, you know. Now Gagey will have that belt, and maybe someday they will run it back. Um, Gagey and Poirier. I mean, Gagey, they're cool. What I like about it too, they're both warriors. There's no shit talk. They're cool backstage after the fight, and uh, Gagey in the post fight was saying like, "I told Dustin, hey, I'm good. We're never fighting you again. You know, I don't mind it. You know, I'm good with it. One and one, whatever. You know." And it's and he also said that if. He wouldn't fight him again unless if Poirier does want that fight and calls for it, then of course he'll give it to him because Poirier gave him the rematch and the opportunity. So I mean, he which is great, you know, it's commendable. But other than that, he doesn't really desire, doesn't want to fight him. So, so that's it. Yeah, what's next? Um, those guys, a lot of you know, Kevin Holland. Who can even start with that? You know, what's next for him? He, you know, who knows? Because he's willing to take so many fights. He's talking about going back up to 185. So if he does that, which there's. Really, it was just the wrestlers, the big wrestlers that gave him problems at 185. So, I mean, we can see he, he's still going to be – he still did well there. He could do both, go back and forth in those divisions, depending on the circumstance, really. So, uh, as far as that, uh, Kiesa, who knows, uh, he might hang it up and just sit behind a booth and concentrate on his podcast with Felder. I mean, either way, he's successful. He's, done, he's doing his thing. I mean, he's a good analyst. Got a good uh, brain for IQ and vocabulary for that stuff and analysis. So, I mean, that might be the, you know, why, unless he wants to fight, who knows? I mean, you can't tell when you want to hang him up or not. But, you know, he has a lot more things going for him than just fighting. So, I mean, you know, other than competitive, he could, I could see him doing jujitsu matches, though, and or wrestling and stuff like that, grappling matches. So, I mean, that might be something he could consider as well. And, uh, Bobby Green, I mean, I mean, he takes pretty much whatever fight. I wish he would call out more people. You know, he's not disrespectful that way. Some guys aren't. They, they're just not going to talk crap to sell a fight, you know, or, or whatever, talk crap about other fighters. So it's like kind of like, you know, but he's just at the mercy of whatever the company wants to do, but he's getting paid. He got up another bonus, put on a great show, great performance, you know, so we'll see what happens with him. Like, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a matchup would be good for him. I don't know there's so many good – fights there maybe in a hooker or somebody's hooker yeah 55 yeah maybe a dan hooker or somebody like that would be a good one would be a banger of a fight um tony i mean that's gonna be on him if he wants he did look good early he don't look the same obviously he looks a little older a little 
but he's lost six straight. But that's ultimately that's on him. What does he want to do? He's another guy who could probably go and just do jujitsu tournaments and stuff like that as well. But if he wants to keep fighting, then you know you got to let him do it. I guess. I mean, I just I I hate seeing the guy do, get damaged. You know, because he was a favorite, one of the faves. So, I mean. We'll see what happens with that. That's only ultimately that's up to him and his family, his team, what he wants to do. Um, there's no quitting that guy for sure. He showed that. You know, he got put to sleep. He could have tapped. He didn't. You know, he could have gave up a few times. Refused to lose type mentality. Very strong mindset. And uh, this guy's uh, Derek Lewis is a free agent, so who knows what's gonna happen with him? He's at the end of his contract. He could go try to do like a Naganyu thing, you know, rematch or something in another organization or go into something else, boxing or whatever he wants to do. Or I think the UFC is happy. I always like Lewis. He always puts on a show. He's a fan favorite. You know, he don't, I'll say he always puts on a show, but, you know, he had a couple of lackluster performances, but I think he has some injuries going on, some back issues, some weight issues, and now he's six-packed up and, you know, looking great, always been athletic. So, I mean, always, like I said, very sellable fighter does what, you know, always brings it on the mic. So, I mean, that's the sky's the limit for him, too. What does he want to do? It's, the ball's in his court and the UFC, obviously, but how hard are they going to fight to keep him, you know? So we got – and then we got, uh, like we already talked about, the other two. So, yeah, that's it. What's next? Uh, some great fights. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Thank you.